Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. Just got done. I was off the golf course, ready to go, get in here on the podcast. It's beautiful weather out here in Houston. And I was fortunate enough to get out there and play a little bit of golf with some good friends. And we are here for another episode of Bleacher Blums. It is so good to be in the bleachers. Things have been going great. Podcast is continuing to get downloads. People are responding on our social Nostra network on YouTube. The channel is exploding, and we greatly appreciate all the fans out there who are helping us out and uh, it, it has been a good time. I hope everybody enjoyed that last podcast with Jeff Schwartz on it, talking the NFL, talking the draft, what's wrong with the Texans, what do the Chargers expect from Herbert. I had a great time with that conversation. And I also think it's great for Tuttle and I to kind of mix things up. Obviously, we're very good at baseball and talking about that and bringing you the information. But on that last one, we had a chance to talk NFL. Did you enjoy that one as much as I did, Tuttle? Absolutely. I felt like mixing up the topics were great. And, um, you know, as much as we think we know about sports as like an armchair quarterback or having played professionally, I think having someone like uh, Jeff come in and give us uh, another G off on the on the podcast, give us a little insight. Um, I thought we talked about it last podcast, but a couple of things that he brought up were things that I had never even thought of or considered. So uh, yeah, it was it was it was fascinating. He was he was a great guest. And I definitely think that you know, if we continue to implement guys like that into our podcast, it's going to make us smarter and uh, certainly uh, probably more enjoyable for the fans as well. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I can't wait to see the feedback on it, see how many views uh, everybody gets. And of course, you can go to bleacherblums.com and you can go to the mailbag and give us your, your questions. You can give us your comments. Let us know the feedback. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review. But uh, I think that we are going to try and incorporate a couple of interview shows in there, whether it be baseball, golf, football, uh, NCAA. We're going to try and find some different topics. Shoot, I even know uh, I could probably get uh, one of my uh, good friends is on uh, Housewives of Beverly Hills. Maybe we could go into pop culture a little bit and have her on. That would be highly entertaining, and I know it would probably get some reasonably interesting exposure and would probably uh, help everybody get away from my bachelor, bachelorette uh, conversations that we have, unfortunately, oh. more often than not. <laughs> I was going to say that might upset the, the folks that tune in for non-bachelor content. We got a yeah. few uh, tweets that we were going down the wrong path with The Bachelor. But like you said, hey, if you rub elbows with people that are on uh, popular TV shows and we're looking for some exposure, maybe, uh, maybe it creates a, a broader dynamic and a broader audience. You know, we'll, we'll have to see how it goes. But definitely... Uh, we enjoyed having Schwartzy on, and uh, and I think that's going to um, you know kind of lead us down another path, and hopefully broaden our horizons and our listeners' horizons. Yeah, Jeff is definitely going to give us a little credibility in the NFL situation, and it's kind of nice having some of these these analysts if we can get them on because you and I are both fans of the, the sport of football itself, and so hopefully we're asking questions that normal fans would ask. But he had some great answers for us, and also on our and they've gone on there and uh, purchased a couple hats. We greatly appreciate that. The representation is great, but the t-shirts have been phenomenal too. And I've actually referred a couple of my friends who are trying to start their own businesses and want some of these t-shirts. I referred them to 
Ram shirts, and they have done a phenomenal job with them, working with them. The shirts are high quality. They're tagless. Uh, the cotton is soft, and everything's great. But I know you got more on this one, Tuttle. Yeah, I do. They're going to. Uh, they're actually in one of the mailbag questions, so we'll sneak up the uh, wow. the listeners' uh, mailbag question once we get on there. I do have a. Uh, I'm wearing today a social distancing shirt. Hey, we are we are the best practicing social distancing podcast ever. Yeah, I think so. And we even have a shirt to prove it from uh, Crush City Tees over there at Ram Shirts. But I, uh, but I want the back has a give me six feet on it, but I can't stand up. I'm all wired into my microphone here. But uh, yeah, no, we're super happy with the the quality of the shirt and um, and you know definitely the uh, uh, the expediency which with with uh, Mark turns the uh, shirts around mm -hmm. and uh, it's certainly given our podcast and our uh, our. Um, you know, I guess our listeners as well, some exposure that uh, we might not have gotten otherwise. And we're just uh, super happy to be supported by Crush City Tees and Ram Shirts um, no, yeah. for the podcast. We are grateful for them. And we're also grateful for our fans. And with our fans getting into the mailbag, we're going to just take this podcast alone to answer some of those questions that maybe we've missed in the last two podcasts, because I think we're going to try and focus our podcast a little more on content and then have the mailbag mixed in there and just dedicated to you who are listening right now for the fans to give us those mailbag questions. And I know Tuttle's got quite a few, so here we go with the nice. mailbag. I was gonna say one last thing. I got my Bleacher Blums hat there. That's awesome. another uh, Crest City Tees product. So look, I'm, 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 we're product doing the best we can. <laughs> All right, so first question. Uh, Blummer, Tuttle, love the show and I appreciate having some baseball talk to listen to while I work from home. That's in air quotes, which is great. When I think about the potential to not have a 2020 baseball season and the Astros who will be free agents at the end of the year, I wonder if guys like Springer, Reddick, Correa, et cetera, feel like they owe it to the fans to stay in Houston for a bit longer or just enjoy the year of not getting beaned <laughs> and bail for more money. What do you guys think? That is the ultimate question. I think that's the hardest thing right now is for fans to figure out what the roster is going to look like in 2021, because if there is no 2020, you're not going to see those guys who are going to be potential free agents play this season. So you might be missing out on their last year in that uniform. Uh, you know, the Dodgers are in a unique situation with Mookie Betts, who they just traded for. He may just be somebody they acquired on a piece of paper and he becomes a free agent and he's gone. But the Astros are in a unique situation with uh, several guys, Michael, mostly in their outfield too, which is kind of crazy. Uh, you know, you've got Michael Brantley on the last year of his contract, Josh Reddick on the last year of his contract. Uh, and then you have George Springer is probably the most noticeable guy. And the question is about loyalty. And I just had an opportunity earlier to talk to Craig Biggio and obvious uh, I know I keep saying obviously a lot. It's funny when you do these podcasts, how you realize what words you say a lot. And I, don't I say it too. It's free agency. It's money. It's, it's what uh, the player wants, where his family lives. And George is actually planted here. I'm not sure what, si or what suburb or where he's at in Houston, but he lives here. So I'm kind of hoping that that encourages him to stay because he understands this fan base loves him to death. And, but as much as a player who is a free agent enjoys the city they came up with, enjoys the community that he is in, never discount the, the money. It, it, you know, Garrett Cole is a guy who said he loved Houston, but he took the money and ran to New York. George Springer is a little bit different story in the sense that he's going to be highly paid, but at the same time, he has a, a much larger heart, I feel, than Garrett 
Cole has a little more of a connection with this, with the, with this organization and with this community. And so I, that's the positive side. But the negative side is if you go back to 2014, when George got called up, he felt under the, the super two, the time, uh, the, the control, you know, team control situation. And I'm not sure if that still has lingering effects on George and his feelings towards the Astros. Because at the time it was Jeff Luno who was the GM. And we know how teams can not manipulate the service control, but maybe massage it a little bit. And they did that with George because they were pushing George back and holding him back because they knew the 2014 team wasn't going to be the team that goes to a championship. They knew it was going to be this window we're in right now, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, where they were going to use George. So I'm not sure if that has a lingering effect or maybe James Click being the GM now helps the cause that Jeff Luno isn't there because Jeff is the guy who held George Springer down. But it's all up in the air. We have no idea until we actually talk to George and see what he does at the end of the year. But he's going to garner a large contract. Yeah, he is. And I, we've talked about this before as well. I believe that the, uh, the, the type of player you are has a lot to do with um, whether you're going to take the money or not. I mean, the, the larger contracts, like a Springer, like you said, if he's looking at a multi-year deal, the Mookie Betts of the world, those guys are kind of pushed or encouraged by the um, MLBPA, the Players Association, to pursue um, as much as they can on the open market because it elevates the, uh, it's kind of like the, the rising tide lifts all boats thing. You know, it makes the contracts better for everybody if they're able to do it. Uh, we mentioned Tony Gwynn on this podcast before. There's some unique situations, Hall of Famers that may be on the back end of their career that, uh, you know, take a little bit of a discount or stay in city, get, a, get another year or two on that contract because of what they bring to the city overall. And that's a unique situation. But I think there's definitely some um, variables, like you said, uh, we're doing the Grinch thing, you know, the Grinch, the Grinch's heart grew three, three sizes that day. I mean, it's not to say Garrett Cole doesn't have a good heart, but you know, he had 300 million, almost 300 million reasons to leave. And I think that, um, you know, we'll have to see what Springer does in terms of what pressure he gets put on him by the players association, as well as, you know, as what his heart tells him and his gut tells him. Yeah. And what Total's referring to is a conversation that we had several podcasts ago about some of these contracts. Actually, I think it was around when Garrett Cole signed is that the union is paying attention to these and the union wants the players to push the market. They do understand that occasionally they do take a little bit of a discount to stay in the town that they're in. But at the same time, they highly encourage the guy taking the highest price possible because it kind of trickles down to guys below who push their market up a little bit too. And it's all about getting as much money as you can in this moment because Tuttle and I can both attest to the fact that even though we're still involved with baseball and able to talk about it, your playing career in the, in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's not even this much. It is, it is just a minute fraction of your entire life. So you've got to maximize your earning potential while you're still playing. Yeah. And it's really unique uh, in the world in general. I mean, I think that's what people misunderstand. I mean, if you uh, had made so much money that you didn't have to work uh, you know, it'd be interesting to see if you would be broadcasting. I know I wouldn't be in medical sales. Yeah. And, and I think that your point is well taken. You know, you have three or four, I have three kids, you have four kids to put through college uh, until that time happens. And until we get into that retirement stage, I mean, like you said, you have to maximize your, your earning space in there. And so, although it looks like a lot of money to an outsider and per day and per, you know, service time and per contract, it's a lot of money. But if you have to spread that out over 20, 30, 40 years, 
you know, there are people that argue, <laughs> well, you could do some other job. You could go to work then and you can make that money. It's like, look, this is kind of what your skill set uh, allowed you to do. And I know plenty of guys, unlike you and myself, that um, didn't get their college degree and don't have a college education. And, you know, this is kind of their one shot. And like you said, you have to maximize your earning potential. So I don't begrudge those guys doing that at all. Good question. Yeah, great question. Way to get us fired up and started. Um, yeah. This one's a little bit longer. There is a question at the end, but I thought this was worthwhile. This uh, has to do with the Crush City Tees thing that we talked about before. Crush City Tees, Crush City Tees brought to you by Ram Shirts. Hey guys, this will be a bit on the long side, but I think it's worthwhile. I have a comment on one of your sponsors and then a question. I jumped on one of the fishing shirts you're selling with Crush City Tees. Due to logistical issues caused by COVID-19, the guys at Ram Shirts are having a hard time getting the materials. When I inquired about when the shirts might be available, they were quick to communicate with me to explain what's going on and even offered some free swag while I wait. I declined the free swag since we're all facing unusual issues right now, but I think they're deserving of a customer plug for their willingness to quickly and honestly respond to a customer and volunteer to keep us happy even when it's a small sale. Two big thumb, thumbs up for the folks at Crush City Tees and Ram Shirts. How about that? Standing. We couldn't have got a better plug, and that's from uh, from somebody writing in. So, uh, this is Dave, by the way, writing in. So, um, Dave, thank you for doing that. And my my good buddy David on the other side. Guess what? He is always complaining about customer service. Oh, that's right. That's the what'll tuttle say topic du jour, right? Yeah, there you oh, go. But we're not going to have those issues with Ram shirts. Apparently, they're doing a good job of making sure everybody's taken care of. That's right, Blummer. Nice. I like it. Now, for a question. Without any real target date available, how would you as players try to manage uh, staying prepared for baseball? My guess is that MLB will try to keep any preseason to a minimum so that that will tax players, especially pitchers, more than a normal season start. How does a pitcher go about building up his arm or hitter refining his uh, timing at this point? Is there really anything they can do other than work out and stay loose? Thanks for keeping up with the podcast and cranking out episodes. I've been listening since number one and haven't missed a single one yet. I hope y'all haven't forgotten the idea of a live podcast at St. Arnold's. It's something I'm certainly looking forward to when the madness ends. I completely agree. I can't wait to get on an airplane and head off to Houston myself, Dave. Uh, Dave, that's, that's good. And for, I think it's going to be easier for hitters. It, it's just going to be a timing issue, but I think it's going to, it, it's going to be two to three weeks to get these guys ready. It's timing. Uh, from what I've seen, a lot of these guys have cages. They have the ability to get to facilities to work out. So I'm not so much concerned about that. I worry about the conditioning. That's probably the most concerning thing for me. Uh, from a position player standpoint, is the conditioning. Will these guys have the endurance to be able to sprint through the end of the season, if there is one, and keep their legs right? But I think uh, these guys are good enough. Man, you know, I'm, I'm spoiled watching the Astros as often as I do because I know Altuve can roll out of bed and get you two or three knocks. Uh, Bregman, I think, is going to battle you for some at-bats. George Springer, we've seen him show up on day games, take the first pitch 900 feet. So, you know, these guys, I'm not so much worried about as far as, you know, turning it on and getting those hits and being on time. It's the day-to-day for it bats immediately right after sitting down for two or three months. That's the only thing for me. But I think the question is more for you. And I, I'm, I'm curious to hear what you say because the starting pitching is the one I am most curious about. How are these guys going to be able to – they extended themselves and then they pull back for two months. Are they going to be able to extend themselves and ramp up? I don't know how it's going to work. So this is on you, Tuttle. 
Yeah, you know, great, great question. I appreciate writing in. I, I think from a preparation standpoint, uh, you and I have talked about this, I think previously for the experienced guys, spring training tends to be um, a lot of kind of like loosening up and getting yourself mentally ready. Um, they do stretch guys out. I don't think spring training was long enough at this point to stretch guys out, really. I don't think the starters were going six or seven before they shut it down. And honestly, they do this in basketball all the time where they say, well, you got to be game ready. There's going to be a little ramp up period. I mean, I don't think you're going to see JV come out and throw eight innings to start. Now, if we have the extra inning uh, kind of thing added into the season, or if we do double headers that are seven inning games and those guys take the ball, um, it's going to be a different dynamic. So there's some other variables outside that the, um, the actual uh, preparation of the players. But I do think that um, we, I touched on this last podcast or the one before, I guess it was two podcasts ago about this, this, this season is an advantage for teams like the Yankees, the Astros, the Dodgers, because it's more of a sprint. I mean, if they get cranking, you know, June 15th or July 1st, which the rumor is possibly July 1st, if they get cranking July 1st, it's, Hey, July, August, September, maybe October. And then you have the postseason in November, kind of early November. It's a very short season. And so you can kind of air it out and gas it out and you don't really need to that kind of ramp up and that, and that, um, and that holding back, like saving innings for the uh, postseason. So I think the experience and the teams with a um, more, uh, I don't know, mature group of players and the payroll have an advantage this season for sure. And I'm sure they'll be prepared once the bell rings, especially if it's as late as July 1st. Nice. All right. Let's keep plugging away. A lot of good questions. Um, I think we have about six or seven of these, and we're just going to make this the whole podcast today. So this is uh, from David. I guess I, I choose names that I like. You know, we had Dave last time. This is from well, David. See, so It seems fair. We had a G off on last podcast, right. so why not have a couple of Davids on this one? There you go. It's only fair. <laughs> That's right. And there are no G offs writing in, so we'll have to see if, uh, if Jeff Schwartz ever writes in or your buddy Jeff, Jeff Geary. So um, here we go. Uh, with the current cancellation of life, I've been watching plenty of old games from my childhood, 1980 to 85. While watching these games, I've been wearing out baseballreference.com, looking back at particular pl players' career paths. Lonnie Smith played in the World Series for four different teams, Phillies, Cardinals, Royals, Braves, winning rings with the first three. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Terry Pendleton went 0 for 4 in the World Series while just missing out on rings with the 82 Cardinals, 95 Braves, and 97 Marlins. He came up with the Cardinals in 83, left Atlanta after 94, and left the Marlins after 96. Did either of you guys play with a guy that was this lucky or unlucky? And I thought that was just a, I don't know if I'll be able to come up with a player, but I just thought that was a fantastic question and somebody who obviously delved into the research, so. Yeah, it would take a lot of time. It wouldn't take a lot of time because all you'd have to do is think of a name and look up their look up their career. But you know, you know, Tony Gwynn got into the World Series and didn't win. But you'd be amazed at how many guys are that have these lengthy careers, 15, 20 years, you know, and didn't get to a playoffs number one or didn't even get to a World Series. And then you hear stories like, you know, uh, you know, we're going to the Hall of Fame and not going to the World Series, or is it going to the World Series multiple times and losing every time you get there? So, you know, there's a, there's guys on that Dodgers roster right now that are, you know, in that situation of, man, we've been to the last dance, but we haven't been able to finish this thing off, and that's got to be concerning. I think one of the most amazing stats into the World Series, won it with uh, the Tigers uh, and the Dodgers, 
never played an all-star game. How does that guy not play an all-star game? You win an MVP, you should be in an all-star game. So how does that happen? The other one is, is right here, uh, Nolan Ryan, strikeout king. No Cy Young? I mean, what, what competition are we going up against? So the World Series is a great question, but those are the anomalies, I think, in the sport that really pique the fascination. And thank God that we have the resources of the internet that, uh, you know, we can look these things up. And then all of a sudden you go, man, that guy had a great career, but he never did this. And it's amazing. Well, we have the pandemic so that we have a little extra time on our hand to do the research because I'm not a great <laughs> yeah. researcher in general, but to have the pandemic time to go look at that. You know, it's funny. I wish I was more of a baseball kind of savant or enthusiast. I know you use baseballreference.com and some other sites that are that are super valuable when you're kind of trying to do an overall analysis or a comp for guys. But um, the guy that I always think of, because Charles Barkley gets a lot of heat, right? Charles Barkley was an MVP in the uh, NBA and never won uh, a title. And uh, Robert Horry, Robert Horry has seven rings, um, you know, just sitting on the bench. Yeah, big shot, Bob. And so I think you could probably come up, you know, if we sat here long enough with a bunch of anomalies like that, where, you know, Robert Horry, is Robert Horry a better Mm -hmm. basketball player than Charles Barkley? No, he wasn't on the dream team. He wasn't, you know, as highly regarded. He was a great shooter and nobody can take that away from him. But seven rings is, uh, you know, I mean, I think that's kind of sneaky lucky. And, um, you know, luck is the residue of design. I mean, I could always put my career in that spot. We talked about some mm-hmm. guys that I knew, roommates of mine and teammates of mine that went to the big leagues that maybe didn't have the fanfare coming out of the draft that I did. But, you know, you just never know how it's going to shake out. So there's a little hard work. There's a little luck. There's a little, uh, you know, there are a couple of things that you got to get to go your way. And, uh, and I think we could probably, along with Lonnie Smith and Terry Pendleton, kind of weave a tapestry of guys that have had good luck and guys that have had bad luck. And, you know, it's just kind of part of life, isn't it? So. Yeah. I think Reggie Sanders is another guy that went to, you know, like four straight world series with four different teams. I mean, what are the chances, but I say it all the time. Timing is everything. Yeah. That works for hitting too, right? Timing is everything. (laughs) It's a good motto to have if you're a hitter. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So um, another question, just jumping ahead. Arthur, Arthur G says, Hey, in your last podcast, and I think this might've been uh, a couple podcasts ago, but bear with me. I, I don't always get to the mailbag as I should. In your last podcast, you briefly discussed youth sports. Could you spend more time sharing your thoughts on youth baseball? Example, the age at which kids move to select ball, finding good teams with sensible coaches when it's when it's too much, how to encourage kids to work hard for their dream, dream, that's easy for me to say, without crossing the line to crazy dad. I have a nine-year-old playing on a select team with a coach who seems very level-headed. I think we got lucky. I enjoy listening to you guys and respect your opinions, so I'm guessing you have some good insight on this topic. I'm a bit older, so select or travel sports didn't really exist when I was a kid. Thanks for doing the podcast. I'm hooked. You guys are helping us get through this crazy time. So thanks, Arthur. We really appreciate it. I actually think it is a question or a topic that Tuttle and I probably talk about more than any other off air. And it was kind of interesting. We had this question a couple of podcasts ago. We didn't get in depth as far, probably as far as in depth as we wanted to. And just in thinking through it, and we're old enough too, where we didn't play club or select when we were in youth sports, but at the same time in baseball, if you, the longer you played into the summer meant the better you were because you basically started with your high school team. 
and then you move to your, you know, your local uh, league, whether it be Pony League or, uh, you know, whatever it was. And then when that, that ended, you went to area codes, you went to Legion Ball. There were other leagues that all of a sudden kind of came these pseudo all-star teams as, as the area grew because it was basically high school, city, you know, uh, county or whatever region you're in. And it just expanded and kept getting bigger and bigger. And the better you played, the longer you played because you were on those all-star teams. And I kind of like that aspect. And I don't know how these select club teams work. I know that there's varying levels that you can play because having been through the volleyball situation I've been in with my daughters, I know that they have an elite level and then they have two levels underneath, uh, you know, and you've got to play your way onto the elite teams. They say sometimes, sometimes it can be a little political if uh, the parent pushes the right buttons or annoys the coach enough or director and says, my son should be on there. But at the same time, I like the idea of earning your way onto a better team moving forward. But again, you know, from nine to 12, I remember playing, but I don't remember being good. I don't remember being good until I was about 14, 15 years old, where I got a little bit stronger, got a little bit bigger, and I started to pass some of the guys that were just badasses when they were 12 years old. Because there were some dominant dudes when I was 12. I was like, that guy's awesome. That guy's awesome. And I was kind of like, how am I going to compete with that? And then lo and behold, two, three years later, I'm like, Psh that guy's not even making the team. So it's kind of interesting how that unfolds and every kid's going to be different, obviously, but I really felt like I matured a little bit later, but uh, at the same time, my incentive to play wasn't to pay to play on a team to get exposure. My job was to play well enough to get on a team so I could get exposure. Some ideas like that, how it was different then and how it's different now where it feels like you can almost pay to play, but are you getting the appropriate exposure? Are you getting the appropriate uh, uh, teaching? And for me, the biggest thing is, are you getting the best competition to show off your talent? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of always with you sports, like big fish, little pond. And when you make that step, I know I played a travel soccer ball in um, uh, Connecticut. Uh, I played travel soccer and when people said, oh, you're 12, you're 13, you're playing travel soccer, you must be really good, right? Because they knew you were on the travel ball team, which they didn't have, like you said, they didn't have club or select or anything like this. So if you were playing travel ball, they pulled you out of a pool, you tried out, you made this team. If you now, if you tell somebody, like you said, you're playing club volleyball or club soccer, I mean, that doesn't tell them anything. They're kind of like, oh, um, well, what does that mean? What level? Well, I'm playing flight three or flight four or flight five or flight six. I mean... I don't even know what these yeah. flights mean and that's the pay to play aspect. So I do think it's kind of up to the individual and up to the individual parent. I mean, you have three girls that are exactly the same age. I have two girls that are exactly the same age. One of them happens to be a good athlete. One of them's not into sports at all. So I kind of let them dictate meaning, Oh yeah, you want to go hit some balls. You want to go practice. That's great. And then they'll kind of tell you, you'll be able to see them against the competition. You'll be able to see them um, measure up to these people that are in your area. I have a really kind of a, it's a short story that kind of goes to that. But we, when I was in Little League in Connecticut, we won the state championship three years in a row, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old Little League teams. Um, so 13 was Pony Ball, I think at the time, or Colt. And when Dynasty. I was 11, yeah, yeah. When I, was, when I was 11, we went to the College World, or the College, the Little League World Series in Williamsport. I was an alternate on the All-Star team. So the alternates, you know, didn't get to go with Damn. the team. Oh. 
Uh, when I was 12, we came two games away from going back. That was heart, heartbreak, heartache. Um, do you know how many guys off this team that won three state championships in a row in Connecticut? We won the whole state three years in a row, beat every little league, went all the way, you know, three hours of travel, beat all these teams. How many guys ended up ever playing professional baseball? Uh, two out of 30 guys. Wow. And one of them was drafted out of um, like the University of New Haven in the 20th round. He was our stud at 12 years old. He got drafted out of the University of New Haven. And then I don't even know if he got made it out of rookie ball. And then myself, who was a skinny catcher who, you know, could barely hit the ball. I was like a singles hitter as a 12 year old. And I caught, I caught, I was one of the only guys that could catch these guys that were throwing hard and that was it. So even then, you know, as you pointed out, this dude is awesome and that guy's great. And this guy's awesome. I was the only guy that went on to play. And I guarantee you there was about 15 guys on that team that people would have said, Oh, now that guy, he's going to make it. Oh no, that guy's going to make it, you know? So I think yeah. it really has to come down to the individual ultimately in terms of the path that you're going to be on and the path that you're going to take. Uh, I know that's kind of a generic answer or a general answer to a very specific question, but I think if your son's enjoying it and you feel good about your coach, who's very level-headed, uh, I think you're probably doing all the right things to get him kind of the exposure and the excitement and the enjoyment of the game that he needs. Yeah, and I, I think if you watch The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, if you talk about Kobe Bryant, if you talk about LeBron James, if you talk about some of these greats, Mike Trout, uh, watch and hear and listen how people talk about them because a lot of what I hear is passion. It's will. It's will to win. You know, not uh, giving in, not breaking down. These guys work harder than anybody else. Obviously, they're uber talented, but you keep hearing about the passion, the will to win, and the work ethic. So if you can kind of take bits and pieces of that knowledge and apply it to yourself, I think that's how you can kind of create a player that goes out there and maybe overachieves a little bit too, because not everybody's going to roll out of bed be a Mike Trout or a Jose Altuve or George Springer. You've got to be able to go out there and be willing to work. And a lot of it has to do with that internal fire that these guys are showing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Blummer. And I think, like you said, you can kind of tell that at a young age. It's so funny when you and I have personal conversations, you always talk about you having the red ass or snapping at something <laughs> and we don't get to see that personality. And I think that uh, I probably have a little competitive fire and competitive juices somewhere under the surface. Um, but uh, they don't kind of get to rear their head anymore as much as they used to, because we're not doing this for a, a, a living and we're not doing this for, a, um, you know, to be the stand on the mountaintop like you did. Uh, back in 2005. So I think there are some things that get mellowed out with age. People always say that, right? You know, you mellow with age, but there was definitely an internal fire. And I've said this a, a bunch of times on here. I mean, when I was bored, I went out and shot free throws or dribbled the basketball around the driveway. I took a tennis ball and threw it against the garage a hundred million times. Uh, I played wiffle ball. Like my thing was active and activity and I was super competitive at that. And I would, you know, my uncle and my brother, there are people that will still tell you that, you know, you don't want to play Monopoly with me, even though I can't stand Monopoly anymore. So I don't see that from myself now as I, as I mellow with age and I try and raise kids, but there's something underneath as well. When you talk about Kobe and Michael and, uh, you know, Verlander and, you know, some of these guys that want to be kind of the top of their profession. So. Yeah, I think you could say, but I think it, I love the fact that you brought up what you did as a kid by yourself, because I was the same way. 
had a brother who was five years younger than me and I would just go out and destroy him in wiffle ball. So it wasn't that much fun. But uh, I would take a golf ball. We had, we, we finally in our backyard where I was growing up, we finally got a cinder block wall put up around the, the perimeter of our backyard. I would take a golf ball and I would stand in the set position and I would throw this thing as hard as I could against the cinder block wall. And, you know, if it hit the cinder block perfectly, it would come back to me on a one hop and I'd make it look good and fake a double play. And uh, I would have my glove on too, uh, my normal playing glove. But there would be moments where it caught a seam or, or the, where the grout or where the cement was holding the bricks together. Oh man, dude. And this thing would hit it. It would fire it, you know, over my head into the neighbor's yard, like two doors down. I'd have to go down there. Hey, can you give me a golf ball? But then there would be other times where it would hit and shoot straight down and turn into these just wicked, nasty hops. You know, and I'd come back in, you know, I'd have a welt on my chest, you know, my nose would kind of be bleeding a little bit. My mom's going, what are you doing? Or, you know, back, back, I'm in the backyard kicking my own ass, you know. That's but uh, that's what He's kicking his own ass. If you're willing. <laughs> I was going all Ken Giles on myself. Yeah. But, uh, but that's where you, you kind of find that desire. And right now, just a little bit of, uh, you know, dad bragging right here my daughters during this whole COVID issue they haven't been able to get to a court too often but they'll go outside and there's enough of there's four of them now and they're out there setting bumping spiking doing their and I mean I'm like oh look at look at they're doing it on their own all of a sudden I get fired up because that's where I think you agree where like you know maybe your son playing the piano when you're not when he's not being told to or it's not practice time you're kind of like you hear the the tune in the background you go yeah. You know, yep. and they get excited about it. I love that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime your kids are doing something that they enjoy that you feel like is going to propel them to be better or focused, or they have that own, you know, personal drive to do. Ownership, I take, yeah. yeah, I take, I take so much pride in that. Me too. So man. anyway, that's, that's, that was a great question. Got us all fired up. Um, we got a couple more, hopefully short ones here. And then, uh, the mailbag podcast will be over. Um, Let's see. Oh yeah. Here. I like this one. I was, I actually had a question for you. I'm going to save it for next podcast, but it's related to this. Uh, Blummer and Tuttle. Thanks for the good content. These last few weeks of the quarantine. Yeah. Hopefully it's the last few weeks. I know in Texas, it seems like it is. I don't know if, if we're heading into the last few weeks or the last few months for us out here in Cali. Um, question for Blummer. What does, and don't give the secrets away Blummer. You know, if it takes 10 hours, don't give it away. A uh, question for Blummer, what does the average prep time look like for broadcasting an average game? What are you doing before the game and how long are you prepping? What are you doing during the game? What are you looking at on the field and on the computer oh, wow. to stay on top of whatever happens? You and TK have a great broadcast. I imagine it takes a lot of work, but it seems effortless. Keep up the good work. Thanks for keeping the episodes coming. Uh, who wrote that one in? <clears throat> oh, Yeah. Let's, uh, let me get them. So that's John M. Sorry about yeah. that, John. No, we like, we you can give him shout outs, you know, John, I, but, uh, John M. That is a very, very good question. The broadcasting part of it is a little bit different. And what a lot of people don't know is that we actually do have a producer who we have production meetings with before the game. And it's usually about an hour and a half before the game. We'll just go through our rundown of ideas and, uh, you know, uh, graphics and highlight reels that we want to see and certain guys we want to uh, highlight and talk about. But as far as getting ready for the game, I, I usually will wake up, I'll go work out, have a bite to eat, and then I'll come back and I'll get in my office and I'll, not my office, or if I'm at home, I'm in my office, but if I'm on the road, I'll just sit down at the desk in the room 
and I'll pull up my score sheet from the night before, look at who pitched, try and figure out what the bullpen might look like for the next day, and uh, and then look at the starting pitcher for the other team, and I'll start filling out my scorecard. And my, I wish I had a copy of my scorecard because on the video podcast that we have on our social network, you'd be able to see, maybe next time I'll do it, I want to be prepared enough to where I can go, this is why I pulled that number up. This is why I'm talking about this guy. So I do a lot of my prep work in filling out my scorecard and it kind of, in doing so, it'll spark an idea. I'll write down the idea. I'll look it up. Or if I'm in the same room with TK or Steve Sparks, Robert Ford, I'll kind of go, hey guys, do you got on that? Or do you think this is going to affect this guy that way? And we talk about matchups. TK is one of the most prepared dudes I've ever seen in my life. I absolutely love him for that because a lot of what I do during the game is on feel and reaction to gameplay. And if I have a sense that Altuve's gotten five hits every day for the last week, TK will actually jump in and go, yes, Jeff, he's actually seven for his last 14. He is hitting 500. So that's why it feels the way it does. You know, he, he does a very good job of picking up on my emotion and putting a number to it, which I greatly appreciate. But we do put a lot of effort and a lot of time into it. Now, as far as gameplay, TK's in charge of play-by-play. So I get I, my, my seat is perfect because I can sit, sit back, watch the field of play, wait for the pitch to be thrown, see where the ball goes, see how the players react, and then I can offer my analysis on it. What do you do that for instead of really taking that step back and seeing the field? But I always like to, before each pitch, before each hitter, kind of scan the field and see where they're playing him. Is the shift on him? Where are the outfielders at? Uh, where are the base runners at? And see how that adjusts the situation. And I try and do much like I did, and Tuttle probably did the same thing when he was on the mound, is you kind of put yourself in the situation where the, in whatever position you're at on the field and you say, what do I do if the ball's hit to me? So that's kind of what I'm asking myself as I'm watching the game unfold is, what, you know, what would I do if the ball was hit to me? And so I'm saying, essentially, by the end of the replay, or what I'm talking about is this is what Correa was thinking before the play, and that's why he accomplished it. So there's a lot going on. It's a very good question. Yeah, you know, old habits die hard, Blummer, and I think that's a really good point. I, I think that that's how I kind of look at this podcast or anything else that you do is kind of what were you thinking? And I think that that's why it's insightful because – um, you know, those habits that we developed over years of playing, you know, what pitch are you going to throw this guy? If he swings at this pitch, what are you going to do uh, with the next pitch? Or, you know, darn well, when it's a uh, 2-0 and you got to throw a meatball in there, like, how are you going to, you know, how are you going to make that meatball look less appealing to the hitter? I mean, there's all kinds of thoughts going through your head. And, you know, every once in a while, like you said, you'd rather throw a meatball than walk this guy. So you're almost tipping your cap. Like if this guy can smoke one, then you know, tip my cap because I'll get more, I'll get more trouble per se if I walk this guy based on your whip number. I think the other thing we could do for Blum's Blast next time is bring, bring a scorecard maybe instead of using yeah. a statistic or something. Since we have the video medium, you can talk through the type of notes that you take, but um, certainly being prepared. But I, I would relate it exactly to what you said. I think any of these with the podcast, you and I have notes here. We have thoughts. We sometimes discuss the topics beforehand. I think it's the same thing with a broadcast. And it was the same thing when we were playing is that you kind of had an idea who was pitching, if he was left-handed or right-handed, what he's done to you in the past. All of that stuff becomes relevant and, uh, and necessary as you, uh, as you move forward. And, um, and that's it for, uh, for the mailbag. I was going to throw one more at you, but uh, I think we're good. We're running out of time here. So uh, I think we'll save that last mail 
uh, question for the next time we do the mailbag. And uh, I want to say that I hope this was uh, informative of the fans. This is uh, everything that they contributed. So uh, a lot of the content, a lot of the material, obviously, for this podcast was driven by you guys, the listeners. We encourage you to rate, review, subscribe to the Bleacher Blums podcast. Again, support CrushCityTees.com. Um, we have uh, Jake from Just Geek It who's helping us out as well. So um, we're just super thankful for everybody that's kind of been along for the ride and been with us from the beginning. And I hope that everybody enjoys this, uh, this kind of little variance with our NFL podcast coming out and our, our mailbag uh, podcast uh, today. I hope that uh, we'll be able to talk baseball again here shortly. And, um, and you know, happy quarantine to everybody. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we're still surviving. Yeah, very well said. Great, uh, great episode for us to be able to do this. Oddly enough, uh, it's episode number 69 for us. So we know uh, Rob Gronkowski would be very proud of us making it this far into our podcast careers. It was a good one. The mailbag is great. And again, you can go to bleacherblums.com and go ahead and get into that mailbag and give us your questions and your critiques and your comments. But you can also go to YouTube and go to the Social Nostra channel, subscribe, and you'll get uh, all the updates on when these podcasts are coming out. We appreciate all the information, all the questions that we do get. We'd like to thank the first responders, military, all the essential workers out there, healthcare providers. You are doing a phenomenal job. Continue to do what you do. Know that we are thinking about you and we are cheering you on. But hopefully things can get back to a little bit of normalcy. And hopefully next uh, couple of podcasts, we'll have some great news. And like Tuttle said, start talking some more about baseball, potentially getting back on the field. Because Korea's out there. They start had their opening day. Taiwan's playing baseball. And to be honest, I'm a little bit jealous. And I have not watched any Korean baseball because I think Major League Baseball is the best product out there. But it's great that those guys in Korea are getting the exposure right now to, to maybe shine a light on what they can do. But that's going to do it for this episode of Bleacher Blums. And what we say at the end of every, every podcast is, get the hell out of the bleachers. No, I'm just kidding. Get after it. But most of all, believe it.